This is Docs in the Box podcast. A podcast about medicine, muscles, and more through the eyes of two physiatrists. I'm Dr. Amy West. And I'm Dr. Matthew Cowling. All right, Docs in the Box podcast. Um, got two great guests for you tonight. Uh, Pete Shaw, he's co-owner of CrossFit NCR. Um, he's a games athlete. He was also a games judge, and he's on the CrossFit uh, seminar staff. And then uh, Jen Crichton, I think I pronounced it right, Dr. Jen Crichton. You You're in your last year of family medicine residency, right? Yeah. So awesome. I guess I'll let you guys introduce yourselves and maybe just talk a little bit about how you got involved in CrossFit in the health space. Pete, you want to go first? Sure, I'll go first. Um, well, I was a, I started out as a, a personal trainer in the fitness industry, and uh, I just I had a well, I knew about CrossFit because of a firefighter that lived across the street from me. He saw me working out in my in my garage at my parents' house one day. He walked over. He's like, "Hey, a bunch of guys at the station are following this program on this website. You should check it out." So, you know, classic story. I go to the website. It's hard to understand, but I just try my best hand at it anyway. Fall in love with it, and uh, one thing leads to another. I get more and more CrossFit in my life over a long period of time until you know, you know, eventually I buy into a gym and uh, make it my goal to, to make it to the CrossFit Games and and uh, force Jen to do it with me a little bit too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I guess I'm kind of just tagging along with Pete in, in this journey. I feel like uh, he got me into CrossFit. I thought he was crazy because I was working. We were both working at the Children's Hospital right. um, as like summer research students. And we'd go to the gym to work out. And I, I played varsity soccer. And then the classic story after you finish competitive sport, you don't know what to do. You just go to the gym and get on the treadmill or the elliptical. And I would do that. And he was doing handstand push-ups against the wall in the hospital gym. And I said, You're going to get us kicked out. You need to stop this. So anyway, I found CrossFit because of him. And then um, as I started my medical training, I obviously knew who Julie Fouché was and she was starting to influence me talking about um, her path to primary care. And, that was getting me excited about the potential for um, blurring the lines between clinical medicine and the gym. And then I, I think through one of Pete's level one staff colleagues, I got introduced to Karen Thompson, um, who obviously heads up CrossFit Health. And then we, we, we learned about the MDL ones and then started getting uh, looped in with all of you awesome people who are very like-minded and I think have similar visions for healthcare. So. Jen says she tags along, but I think she was the one who said that we need to join it across the gym. When I was personal training, I think you were like the one that was really pushing, like we got to find a box. And, mm-hmm. and we started, then we started searching the mall in the city and we like tried them all out and then eventually found, found NCR. And we were, mem- we were members at NCR before I came on as a co-owner. Yeah. 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 So Pete, were you on the medical path before? No, I was, no, I, I studied biology in in, uh, in university. I aspired like to go to medical school early on in university, and then quickly found that uh, you know it was so competitive, and I I wasn't on that level. So I, I you know redirected myself a little bit, and uh, but I still wanted you know to to be in science. I wanted to be as close to medicine as possible. And I just had like a sports and fitness background from playing hockey my entire life. So, um, 
I did a little bit of training for my teammates and myself and in the mix there, I found CrossFit. And so that was always sort of lingering in the background. Um, and then after I graduated, I got a, a job. Was it before my last year or after I graduated? Yeah, we graduated yeah, university. yeah, I got a, a job over the summer at uh, the Children's Hospital. And I was thinking at the time that I was going to go do a master's degree. But um, shortly after that, my my contract there had finished and a friend of mine was like, hey, you're looking for a job. We were looking for personal trainers. And so I applied for the job. I got it. And I completely fell in love with with personal training and basically the reason I loved it so much was that human interaction. Like I saw myself as, I was like, man, this is, I'm kind of like going into the, the, uh, the doctor's office and I'm seeing the patient. Like I get to make a change in someone's life on a daily basis, you know? And, uh, and just seeing how, how happy all my clients were after a good workout and being able to affect that change. Like that's just, that was enough to motivate me to make this my life. Yeah, that's awesome. And Pete, you were actually on the L1 staff when we took the MDL1. Yeah, Remember that? Right. Yeah. Actually, well, I was, because uh, Jen was going to go. I was attending, yeah. Jen was attending it. And so I messaged, I messaged Dave and I was like, Dave, like, I'm going to, uh, Dave at the time was my, uh, my supervisor. And I said, Dave, like, I'm going to go tag along anyway. Like, do you want me to like sweep the floors and empty <laughs> some garbages or something like that? Like, and so he's like, he's like, let's see what I can do. And so I ended up demoing a few things, but I wasn't, uh, and I was there definitely to, to observe a little bit more than partake in the actual training of it. But yeah, it was, it was a really cool experience. And you guys had a pretty big year this year, right? So Pete, obviously making it to the games and then you guys had a baby, right? We did. We had our, our first uh, our first baby in January before the world turned upside down, which was, I think, kind of fortunate. We had a pretty regular uh, hospital birth experience, yeah. <laughs> um, a baby boy. And uh, just as we were kind of learning how to get him to sleep when he was about two months old, then the world started going a little bit crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the, the COVID crisis uh, came into play. And so definitely hasn't been a, a normal year, I think, with a newborn. But uh, I mean, it's it's still been unbelievable. And we, we feel like truly, truly blessed. He's an amazing little, little human. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of the world turning on its head. Um, so yeah. recently, you both have been uh, vocal about the importance of Jim's staying open during the pandemic and you guys are facing an, another shutdown where you live. Yeah. Um, can you speak a little bit to the, the work that you've been doing and what your plans are about that? Well, so we feel, we feel strongly that there's like a, a middle ground to be struck. Obviously we're, we understand that uh, we understand the impact that exercise and good nutrition can have on the body metabolically increasing, you know, your immune function, uh, you know, decreasing the risk of getting these comorbidities that, you know, are, are exacerbating the symptoms of COVID-19 um, disease. And um, it's when we first started listening to the announcements, the daily announcements that um, the government was putting up on our, you know, on our uh, countrywide 
our national radio station, I couldn't help but notice that no one was talking about about exercise and, and nutrition as mm-hmm. something that could be done at, at home um, to help prevent hospital hospitalizations or and potentially COVID deaths. And you know, sort of, you know, this went on and on. And at first you can understand that sort of you have this emergency situation where the virus comes and everyone's in a panic because no one knows, you know, how everything's gonna pan out. We don't know how. Um, how fast it's going to spread. We don't know um, what the death rate is going to be. And then as things sort of start to, you know, data starts to accumulate and more studies come out and more studies come out, then it, it started to become a little bit more clear that this was the message that, that needed to be pushed along with social distancing and, and mask wearing, mm-hmm. um, hand washing, just hygiene. Um, and, and so right now we're we're trying to make a case for um, which I mean, the case has already been made, but we're just trying to open people's eyes a little bit to the fact that you can incorporate exercise and nutrition into your daily routines. It's very easy to do so. Um, And we're not so much pro open gyms at all costs. What we want to do, we realize that mitigating spread is important of spread of of COVID-19. but we also realize that there's different things that can be done in gyms mm-hmm. to help prevent spread that aren't being done. Um, so, you know, I, in a perfect world, you know, we're working with government officials and public health officials to come up with ways inside the gym to prevent spread so that we can remain open and safe to the community and then continue to keep the ball rolling and in, in creating a healthy community, not just now, but also in the long term, right? If, mm-hmm. if, if we go out of business because we're shut down for too long, then that's going to be detrimental for everybody. But yeah, did I hit it all there? Yeah, you hit a lot of it. Yeah. I, I mean, I would just add, I think, observing exactly what Pete said early on in the pandemic, we had there was terrible things happening in New York and over Europe. Like it was a very scary time. There were so many unknowns, but then many, many months into the pandemic, we both just felt like the the messaging was much the same, which all valid points, but I think there could have been, it could have been more multidimensional as we knew more about the virus and we could maybe uh, like diversify our efforts um, and learn from what was going on. You know, like I, I, I always thought of like, the aviation industry is a great example of the safety culture that we sometimes aspire to be like in medicine, where we are, we're a no blame uh, culture and we want to learn from accidents or errors as quickly as possible. So we found ourselves in the summer or early fall saying, you know, why aren't we, why isn't it being shared with gyms? You know, this outbreak happened here, or these are the best practices to, to incorporate into your gym to try to mitigate the stress, the, the spread of the virus. And it kind of, kind of got talking with a, an ICU physician here locally, who's um, kind of of the same mindset. Like, why aren't we doing more to collaborate with, with public health and the policymakers to, to get this pandemic to be the catalyst for people to want to improve their metabolic health? And I'm not sure how the system is in Canada, but I know, you know, in the U.S. at least, we don't really focus on prevention at all, you know, and it's something that really has been bypassed in our medical system where we're not having patients, you know, well, at least the majority 
um, focus on exercise and diet and we're too used to providing an intervention for them when they come. And so it's like we're just responding to the disease rather than, you know, trying to prevent it. Um, what are things like in Canada? Do you guys have a similar approach or? Unfortunately, it, it's very similar as well. Like even in primary care, it's hard to spend the, the amount of time that you always want to with patients um, or to get them connected to all of the other allied health providers that would be extremely helpful to them. Um, so while we do have a, a, a publicly funded um, system for all of your acute care needs um, and much of your primary care needs, those allied services uh, like a dietitian, physiotherapist, those are often not covered unless you have private insurance here. So it's much the same. We're, we're, we're always trying to play catch up and we're, we're very reactive and um, it's quite frankly a much easier to, to prescribe a pharmacotherapy quickly and, and people are more accustomed to that, to go into their physician and getting something um, that is a bit easier to wrap their head around. I'm just gonna take metformin and that's gonna control my diabetes and I don't have to make this kind of long-term shift to my lifestyle. Um, and I, I think that's it. What, that's our fault in, in especially primary care that we haven't done a good enough job um, normalizing the fact that diabetes doesn't have to be a, uh, an advancing disease, that remission is possible. And there's a great group in Canada called the, I believe it's CCTN, Canadian Clinicians for Therapeutic Nutrition. And they're kind of a, a very food first approach. And they're doing a lot of work to, to raise awareness around the, um, the ability for some people to put their diabetes into remission with diet alone. So that's just one example, but it's, it's definitely not mainstream. We're, we're similar to the US, I think for sure. Yeah, and we're all familiar with the sickness, wellness, fitness continuum. That's part of the L1, part of kind of CrossFit literature. Of um, and, you know, partly uh, healthcare in general, sort of, so like the physicians, we're sort of, the, we're the, the guardian, we're sort of the, we treat the sickness part of it. And there are some, some people who believe that the coaches are really the, the, the managers of the, of the fitness space. And, you know, we, we've talked with uh, Sean Pastuch from Active Life and his whole, you know, thing is that the coach, coaches are the health care providers of the future. They're, they're, they're the ones who are sort of um, going to be managing wellness and fitness, whereas we as physicians are managing the sickness part of it. What, do you, what is your take on that, especially being that you guys are in the same house? What, what, what do you think about I think, that? I think we feel the same way. Yeah, like, I, I think we, we definitely feel that. I, I actually get inspired hearing some of his stories from the gym you know hearing about I don't you you have one patient who's gone on a pretty long weight loss journey and, and hearing some of his his successes has been pretty inspiring and it reminds you you know maybe one thing I say to someone in clinic might be enough to get them motivated to to stick with their with their fitness plan a little bit longer and mm -hmm. um yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And you're making me think of uh, like the sickness, uh, wellness, fitness yeah. continuum in, in the messaging that we've seen so far in COVID-19, like we were focusing so much at one end of it, um, being like the lifeguards, like pulling people out of the water and that was needed initially, but now we need to be giving people swim lessons, right? We need to be focusing on that well and fit end of the spectrum a little bit more, but 
I think I cut you off there before. No, you pretty much, you pretty much said it. I was going to say like, it's not, you know, what you said is, um, uh, Sean, sorry, what's his last name again? Pastuch. Sean Pastuch. Sean Pastuch said that fitness trainers are the sort of the, the keepers of, of wellness in the future, but that's, a, that's also an old, it's sort of an old thought process too, right? Like a lot of, uh, it, for a while now, I think it was like, I don't want to get the quote wrong, but I want to say it was someone famous like Thomas Edison or something like that was saying like uh, doctors of the future are going to be treating people with nutrition and with food and not, yeah, and, and not medicine, right? Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to shoot myself if I, if I didn't get that uh, that quote right. I think but, that's actually exactly it. That's it's really close, at least. Yeah. Good, because I saw it somewhere <laughs> recently. Um, you know, so it's an, it's a, it's an old it's an old concept that we just still have yet to be to fully uh, put into practice. But you know, slowly we're heading in that in that direction, and we're just we're just hoping that we can help push it there. Yeah, it's like you know, as you were saying, we don't really have a ton of time with people as physicians, um, and you know, we make the recommendations, and I think that the coaches are the ones who are making the habits which is really yeah. how change happens, you know? Yeah. We, we see them a handful of times a year, if that, whereas Pete sees them day in, day out, potentially. Yeah. Um, but that said, I don't think we can underestimate our influence as physicians, like not in a like paternalistic way, but in the, in the way that, you know, this, they really, most of our patients, you like to hope that they respect what we say and, and our relationship means a lot um, both ways. And that like, just taking not even a minute to, to emphasize the need for a change like that can have a huge impact on someone. I mean, you're, you're not going to bat 100% with that, but I don't think that's a reason to not try. And it, you know what else it speaks to is this, this just this conversation of, of, uh, of building the relationship and holding people accountable to sort of long-term successes is, again, the potential impact of shutting down a gym what that does to someone who is sort of reliant on that, that human interaction to keep them accountable, going back into the gym mm -hmm. on a daily basis, mm -hmm. you know, people who, some people find it easy to work out at home and they can. Uh, and, you know, I, I think, I think like Peloton saw an increase, like a crazy increase in sales this year with all the lockdowns and stuff like the, you know, the stationary bike company. Um, but that's, you know, that's, that's not for, for everyone. And my big thing too, was for those who need it the most, this potentially life-saving intervention isn't going to happen during a lockdown at home, right? They're going to need that interaction. They're going to need someone to make them feel uh, comfortable to sort of lead them and, and hold their hand along the way in, in the gym, right? It's going to be the people that are already fit, already have that lifestyle established that are going to be able to, to keep a regimen at home. Um, and it's going to be less likely the people that, um, that don't already have that habit form that we might be encouraging to, to start this, like, you know, down this road of healthy lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, even for someone, so for those of you listening, I have COVID-19 right now, so I'm on a quarantine. <laughs> um, and I would say I'm, you know, would consider myself highly motivated in terms of fitness. And I was in a kind of a big strength cycle early this year, really having a good time in the gym. And then all of a sudden I get this and I'm back to quarantining again. And I have really 
only access to the weights that I had way back during the first lockdown. And I'm like, oh God, I have to go back to this again, trying to work out on my own. We've had in Wisconsin kind of a fluctuation where the gyms opened back up to limited capacity. Um, and then they completely eliminated group classes, um, which doesn't make a lot of sense given that, you know, I feel like at our gym, um, you know, we have the most square footage of any gym in the state and the distancing and all the precautions we're taking seem almost over the top sometimes that they're so good. And so it's like at these other commercial gyms that are at, you know, 25% capacity or whatever, people are running around without masks, touching everything. Here with the coach, you're under their instruction. People are masked up, wiping down things, cleaning things, making sure we're distancing. And then they just stepped in and eliminated that entire aspect of it and just said, you know, you can't do group classes anymore, which as you guys know, for CrossFit is the worst thing you can do. Mm -hmm. And for motivating people to work out, it's the worst thing you can do because these fitness communities are the most important thing for maintaining health and keeping people motivated. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of backwards the way we've been doing things, but it's even hard for people who have been in it, you know, to go back to working out alone. Are you finding, do you, are you finding it hard to get back into a routine at home? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, overall, I think, well, I think probably everybody thinks, you know, like what's going to happen if I get COVID, you know, some people are probably a little more scared than others. And I have actually had an uninterrupted, you know, fitness um, routine kind of that I've been doing. Um, I have an Airdyne bike that I purchased during the early lockdown um, and an ab mat and some dumbbells. And so I've just been trying to just do these, you know, Metcons and work out the best that I can, but it's usually seven o'clock at night. I'm finally like, okay, I'm going to try and do this. And then just struggling to, to get a half an hour in because, you know, I just miss my, my squad at the gym. So. <laughs> yeah. So in New York, we've had sort of a interesting journey as far as the gyms opening and closing. So initially they were part of the initial, the you know, initial lockdown. So from March to whenever that was, you know, six months later, yeah completely shut down, which, you know, real estate in New York doesn't allow for businesses not to be open. So we, a lot of them closed. Um, and we were actually, so a group co uh, formed called the New York State Fitness Association and actually were, brought a lawsuit against the governor to reopen them. Um, but in the process of that, uh, and like literally right before the lawsuit kind of went off, they the, the, the regulations are lifted um, to allow them to open back up with, you know, limited capacity and all that. But um, they were, what they did though, in that means in that time was collect a lot of data. So um, they actually showed that there was like over 2.3 million check-ins at gyms across the state. And the occurrence rate of COVID-19 transmission was like 0.0008%, something like that, like minimal. Um, and, uh, you know, with proper precautions and all that, there's essentially no outbreaks. Um, and so essentially the data was collected. So now, um, a couple of weeks ago, another shutdown happened, but gyms were actually left off of that list. So indoor dining is now is shut off, is sh shut down, but gyms and, and salons actually were both shown to not be spreaders, active spread, you know, spreading of the, the disease. So, um, so for now we're still open. Uh, part of that is just having the data available. Yeah. Um, but also in the uh, in the panic before I knew that I did purchase a Peloton and I'm not happy about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> does not compare at all. I'm like, and now I have it, and, I, and it looks like the gyms stay open. Hopefully, so I'm like, yeah, I don't know what I'm gonna do with this now. But um, 
but uh yeah so i i think uh you know in and at least in the, in our state where we've tracked it not actually a, a spreader and you know there was that incident that happened i forgot what state it was in where there was a someone in the gym one of the coaches had covid and had like contacts with everyone in the gym but no one else caught it do you remember oh, that was matt virginia. yeah virginia so um so it's sort of like two two issues here like one is that you know the metabolic health of people and how to keep people metabolically healthy and safe and then the other is the actual spreading of the disease and both of which the gyms actually seem to be on the the good end of both of those things right so has um any of the any data been collected in canada where you are a little a little bit yeah a little bit there was a report so the um the ontario science advisory table um is the group that's advising basically all the to lockdown or not to lockdown for the Ontario government. And, uh, and at one point in, in the beginning of November, I think they came out, was it that uh, around November, they came out with data, basically, like you said, showing um, the different section sectors, different types of businesses and, uh, and, you know, where COVID was spreading. And it said that gyms, so gyms and sports were lumped together and that it was in all of the major hotspots in Ontario, less than 5% of uh, outbreaks were happening in, in sports slash gyms. Mm-hmm. Um, but then that, but that's really the only data that we have that one. That's all. Yeah. That's that all one, we've seen. And, yeah. and the, what people keep saying is that the public health units are so overwhelmed with the contact tracing that the data they're arguing the data is not, completely reliable yeah. like that maybe it's not telling the whole picture but i guess you, you can understand that but i think that's i think maybe adopting the precautionary principle a little bit too much against gyms yeah because just because you're missing some data you can't assume that the missing data is all gonna be accounted for by gyms yeah right um, i think there's lots of other things we know that are driving community transmission yeah there's definitely there's definitely sort of a um there's it seems like there's almost a lack of resources up here and that's causing a lot of panic and so there's just coming sort of doing these grand sweeping lockdown measures just to sort of as this like catch-all thing um but yeah like like jen said there is a there is a little bit of data and and you know further to that um you know, it just takes a little bit of, of collaboration. I think you know, it, take take a look at there were there was an Ontario one major outbreak at a gym, and it and it kind of it got a lot of media, and it, it kind of gave a bad name to gyms. It was a spin studio. It was a spin studio. It was a spin studio. Yeah, in Hamilton, Ontario, I think they linked maybe sixty cases to one one hour class, and they yeah. were. I think the studio claimed they were following physical distancing guidelines and that sort of stuff, but people were working out for I guess an hour unmasked and a lot of cases came from it yeah so of course the the media latches on to to one case like that and it gets a lot of attention um yeah. but but even but even that wasn't to my knowledge used as a learning tool like no one no one like did an autopsy on it and, exactly. and, and said what can we learn from this like a plane crashes in your city everybody's going to be like, what the heck went wrong? Like, yeah. what can we learn from Where's it? The black box? Are there similar planes flying right now that we need to like <laughs> yeah. take a to closer ground, look yeah. at? Yeah. But 
Yeah. So that's, that's kind of what the, our motivation has been in, the, in this advocacy effort. Like we really think that it shouldn't be a, a binary discussion. Like you're either on team long-term care and hospital capacity, or you're on team reckless and you want gyms to be open. Like it's much more nuanced than that, obviously. And it's, it's really encouraging to hear that New York has looked at the data and tried to, to learn from it mm-hmm. and uh, change their lockdown measures accordingly to where the problem spots are. Yeah. Seems like that's that's what everyone should be doing. Yeah. Yeah, and it's very interesting because, like I was saying in Wisconsin, it seems like there's just a big misunderstanding about what's happening at the gyms, and it's not like each gym is uniform. It's not like you know a CrossFit gym and a spin studio or like a Globo gym are all the same. You know, those are all different spaces for people to be in, and they're all run a little differently. And even lumping them together, I mean, leads to like, you know, like I said, we have people here at these commercial gyms running around unmasked, touching everything, not social distancing. And then we have group classes that were running perfectly well, and they're unable to continue when they were following all the proper measures. So there's nothing to separate that out. And I think that also is kind of a confounding factor for all this. An interesting anecdote from our our province was uh, we had to briefly shut down gyms again for four weeks or so in the middle of the fall and there was an 11 year old girl it's a heartwarming story it was very upset that her dance studio was shut she just she missed her dance studio i understand but she wrote to the government to the premier of ontario and like lo and behold within 24 hours there was an announcement that dance studios were going to be allowed to be open unmasked and just open again, whereas gyms were still mm-hmm. shut. So there's just like the but issues have become yeah. politicized, mm-hmm. and, and but there were also there were small there were small changes that they were able to implement in the dance studios. For example, they they forced them to cohort the the groups. Um, so it's like these people can only ever come to like the four p.m. class right. on Tuesdays, and that's that's it. You can't like mix groups, which is totally fair. Like if the evidence suggests that that's what we should be doing. Um, you know, we, they increased in gyms recently, uh, when they reopened for the second time in Ontario, they, they forced us to increase the distancing from two to three meters. Totally fair. I get it. Let's do it. So, so we implemented that mm-hmm. and, and it, I'm almost, I'm almost craving more of that. Like I'm willing to, you know, to go to more measures and put these in place, you know, um, if the evidence suggests that this could be, you know, preventing spread as opposed to completely shutting the, the, the gym down, right? It makes it, makes it very difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And we've had uh, some other gym owners on the show and, you know, they've, they've been describing, it's been very challenging because the rules are always changing or, um, you know, they're not very clear. And, and then also just people who are, your members are also have their own kind of issues and feelings and, uh, you know, want you to do different things. So yeah. have you had any experiences uh, with that or? Um, yeah. Like, I mean, so the way that we approached each of our two lockdowns was a little bit different. So the first one, the first wave came in the spring, we shut the gym down. We rented all our equipment out to like our gym was completely empty. Um, and we ran virtual classes and so from at home we ran uh, you know a partial schedule but we still had like you know 6 a.m noon classes evening classes and we would for the most part we tried to keep a very similar also like coaching schedule um and we would just you know we would coach it from home or in our, our basement uh, we had a little basement gym at the time 
and that's what we did. So, but, and our members were super receptive to, to that. Um, when we opened back up just because of pure resources, uh, limited resources, like we couldn't run both the virtual and the in-person classes at the same time. So obviously we wanted to go back to the in-person classes. A lot of people didn't feel comfortable coming back to in-person classes. So we lost, uh, we, we had a lot of people stay on hold and just uh, decide to not come to our, to our classes. And we were forced to basically stop offering them a service because we couldn't do the virtual for them. We do have one class a day now, um, but we don't have nearly as extensive as an online schedule as we used to just for the sake of the in-person. Eventually we got locked down again. We went outside for a month. So we tried something different. We went to, we went into the parking lot. And we ran classes from the parking lot, uh, full class schedule. And, and that was great. Uh, and then the, the snow started to fall. So we were doing thrusters at 6 a.m. In the, in the snow and the blizzard <laughs> towards the end of October. Um, Only in Canada. People were troopers, man. It was awesome, yeah. And uh, we actually had, we had a, 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 a resident a resident who's uh, pregnant with her first child every day at 6 a.m. outside. A sports med resident. <laughs> yeah, too. sports med resident. Yeah. Hard as nails. Yeah. Love her. So, so that was great. And we were just like, please don't extend the lockdown. But again, like out, outdoor classes, people, not everyone wants to do the outdoor classes. So it's, it's really hard to, um, it's really hard to please, to please everybody. If we had unlimited resources, maybe we would do like, maybe we would do a virtual and an in-person schedule and, but uh, so going, moving into this one, we're discussing our, our next strategy. Hopefully we can learn from, from the previous two lockdowns and try to you know, find the best of both worlds or something like that. Right now, you know, we're sitting in uh, a bit of snow and it's you know, minus 10 outside. So I, I doubt we're gonna go to the parking lot. But, yeah, yeah. I, I think for the most part, your, your member base has been incredibly, yeah. Oh, yeah. incredibly flexible and resilient. And yeah. there was for sure some hesitancy when we were first going back inside because masks, the idea of that was all kind of new and people were thinking like, it's not going to be the same. It's not going to be as fun. Yeah. And I think within a week or two, anybody who had a hesitation mm-hmm. for, for that reason, they, they saw stuff on social yeah. media that you guys put out and they were like, okay, no, that's awesome. It's, it's yeah. still thrusters and pull-ups and back in. Yeah. So. And, and even though, you know, we've got the squares set up, right? So a lot of, I think most gyms that I, I've seen now are, are your gym doing that, Matt, the squares? Yeah, we've always had this really structured organization where we have these rectangles. Um, And so that's been the way we've been doing it the whole time. So we were already prepared for that. Social distancing before it was cool. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Are you at Big Dane? Is that what it's called? Yeah, Big Dane Collective. Yeah, that's a beautiful gym. Did you you ever get to go there? I don't think I wanted to go. You're too busy when you're last. Maybe, yeah. Judging. Yeah. Huge. uh, the, the other thing, like people, like to what Jen was saying is that, you know, people have been really flexible and um, they're starting to realize like this is this is the only chance they're going to get to see their friends is to come into the, the, the class and, you know, uh, talk across the squares with them. Um, so they, uh, I think they still, they, they still enjoy it and I think they still consider it the best hour of their day, I think for a lot of them, yeah. right? So. I mean, I can attest when we had our first lockdown and then the gym opened back up, I was the first one in there ready to go. And I'd been training through the lockdown. So I thought, oh, I'm finally going to get some wins around here. 
Yeah. And uh, just the first day back talking smack to people and just seeing your friends. It's like you're in high school going to class again, you know? Yes, I said that exact same thing. It's insane how good it makes you feel. So, so how did that go? Did you did you show everyone up? Were you like bitter? <laughs> you know what's interesting? I still lost the workouts. Yeah. I I looked good though, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you were just doing bodybuilding in your apartment? Yeah, I was doing bodybuilding and I was on a big cut, so I just kept going with it. And then I showed up like six percent body fat, you know, had a fake tan, just ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> a fake tan, really? Okay. Good God. <laughs> you gotta, it adds like five pounds of muscle. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, yeah. Another thing that has been, you know, what other gym owners have told us is this idea of routine, which has kind of gone out the window because everyone's working at, from home. Right. So, you know, so a lot of people, they made the gym was part of that routine. You get up, you go to work, you go to the gym, et cetera. And now like all of that, there's, there isn't any of that anymore. So a lot of people have kind of lost that drive, you know, to be at the gym at a certain time because they don't have to go to work and they're kind of, you know, so have you noticed any of that? for sure or, or they've created new routines like i think there's there was uh, initially a huge adjustment period i mean even we struggled with it when we were big time like it was we struggled big time i mean new baby i think the baby's changing your routine yeah. all the time but then i was training for the games too and then all the the games are happening they're yeah. not happening <laughs> yeah and so that was, that was just like you know the routine was was definitely thrown out the window and all all the members um I mean, there was a huge adjustment period for everyone, especially when, when the schools were shut down, right? Right now, well, the schools are open. Yes. Um, and so that was huge because a lot of the, a lot of the members who had kids um, running around the house, they couldn't, they couldn't get away to come to the gym because we were also, we weren't allowing that. Like we couldn't have extra bodies in the gym because of the restrictions, um, you know, where typically we might run some kids' classes on the side or allow them to hang out in the lobby and play with the dodgeballs, like, we couldn't have any of that so once schools opened that was a huge huge help and it made me realize how important teachers were oh yeah (laughs) i mean i knew they were important but like just for the normal functioning of society like they are their front line as much essential workers as essential as it gets you know um and uh so and i think a lot of people created new routines that uh where the gym they didn't they didn't make it a solid effort to fit the gym into that new routine. And, and, you know, now, um, we're going to, I'm going to have to work and the other coaches and, and my, um, my business partners, we're going to have to maybe work a little bit harder with some of these athletes of ours who have put their membership on hold and maybe created, uh, alternative routines. And we're going to have to try to squeak our way in there and, uh, and try and insert ourselves back into their routine once things start to calm down just a little bit. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, for sure. Like if people's commute, just like maybe the gym was on the way to work or on the way home, yeah. like that was a huge factor. But one positive that I've seen, at least initially in our neighborhood, we we were seeing dogs that we've never seen before. Yeah. Like you see tons more families out walking, doing stuff. We have a lot of friends who got really into biking or running. One of the yeah. members ran their first marathon. So there are some silver linings to it. Like people diversified their interests and got yeah. outside a little bit more, which I think in CrossFit, a lot of us are probably guilty of uh, like working out really hard an hour or so a day and then maybe not doing as much outside yeah. or other physical activity so that was i think one positive thing that has changed in some people's routines yeah yeah for sure 
the amount of times that I've said I'm getting a dog since the lockdown started is unbelievable. Just an hour ago, I was just scrolling French bulldogs on the internet. <laughs> it's crazy. But yeah, we're seeing that too in Madison. I mean, people are getting outside and it was already like a pretty, you know, happening outdoor place. But now even in winter, you just see people, you know, outside walking. It's, it's so hard to just be sitting around and it's dark all the time now. So yeah, 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 exactly. Interesting here though, the, the schools are closed, but the gyms are open here. Whereas it's opposite where you are. So I, I yeah, was going to say from yeah. Sweden to, to some of our friends down in the U.S. I don't know if it's the same across every state, like, but in, at least in California, I've heard like we've, we prioritized reopening schools. I think like, like right away, it's number right. two to or not, like, or three, like hospital capacity, manage long-term care outbreaks, and then keep the schools open. That's how mm-hmm. our policymakers have um, prioritized things. I think, cause they see like, people were not, it wasn't easy on families to work from home and, and try to homeschool at the same time. Like people were just getting so, so burnt out. And like, in my opinion, I, I don't know the, the school data super, super well, but at least on the surface, what the media has covered, the schools have, have covered, the schools have done really well, like really well in, in Ontario, yeah. at least. And they, they have all their protocols, they're, they're masked, um, I think certain uh, grades and above. I and- saw something last month um, in Ontario. Of all schools in Ontario, only about ten to fifteen percent of them have yeah. outbreaks. Yeah, I think it was thirteen yeah. percent. I think yeah. you're right. Yeah. So, admittedly, we think that pediatric population often goes asymptomatic. So maybe we're missing a lot, but I, I don't know. I, I I think that number sounds pretty good when you think of the benefits of of kids being in school for their like physical, mental, social development, um, as well as allowing families to try to continue to thrive during difficult times and continue to work when a lot of childcare options are not as easy right now, right? Like grandparents will often take the bulk of childcare in in some family dynamics. And now it's out of the question. For some, it's out of of the question. It depends on your risk tolerance, right? So yeah, I think, I think our our uh, our government has done a good job in trying to prioritize schools for yeah. kids. Sort of why the same reason kids need school and need that interaction. It's kind of similar to how we sort of see the gym and that kind of daily interaction and exactly. yeah, exactly physical and mental stimulation and all that. Yeah. So I'm sort of to switch gears here, but Pete, what was it like? training for the games that were but yeah. weren't and on and off and all of that and oh, all this. it was uh I'll start. yeah, yeah Jen, was... Jen, general start because she she uh she kept me on a short leash and motivated no, me <laughs> <that's not true. laughs> it was i think you guys can attest to this too this has been a, a roller coaster of a year in the in the crossfit world for yeah. many many different reasons and i think it that's because of the passion we all have for this. And when some of those events happened earlier on in the year, it was like, it was heart wrenching. And like, there was a, a lot of emotion around that. And to tie that into trying to put a lot of pressure on your body physically, it was, uh, there was ups and downs. It was, sure. it was one of the most, <laughs> it was one of the most stressful periods that of my life that I can like, I can remember in like the short term. Um, there's just like a this just low this undercurrent of of stress that's just sort of throbbing constantly. Um, 
just okay, don't all, get too all dramatic. That, just, <laughs> no, but all that stuff, all the all that stuff, no, right? Too, with yeah. with you know, cross with the company, and uh, and then you know, you're trying to like put on your game face, and then you know, okay, it's time to go into the basement and train for the games, right? Um, I was trying to do most of my my training at home, and uh, and we made it work. We made it work. Like it was it was. You know, Amy, I don't have much to compare to because it was the first time I trained for the games, you know? So, I mean, comparing to training for other events is definitely a little bit different. And it's nice to have, um, you know, a revolving door of athletes that you can just compete against on a daily basis at, at your home box. Um, so motivating yourself to, I don't know how Matt Fraser used to do it by himself every single day in, in his garage. And I mean, I think he figured it out now that he's training with, uh, his training partner Tia all the time. Right. But mm -hmm. it goes to show you like training with people is so much better than training by yourself. And, you know, so we had some good times, uh, setting up the, the squat rack in the, in our parking space. But, um, I, I would definitely rather go back to the gym and, and yeah. yeah. I think that's where, where Pete struggled the most. He's a very social being and uh, he it doesn't matter your, your level of, of fitness or ability. Like if you're a human being in the gym, he's going to try to rope you into whatever wad he has to do and he'll scale it appropriately for you because he would rather be working out with, with someone else than alone. Yeah. And, and he thrives off other people's energy. So that, that was challenging, right? Because yeah um bodies were were limited um but one funny part of of his training because of all of the unknowns about what was going to happen in the games they were in madison okay no they're going to be in california at the, the ranch and everyone's going um so as soon as he heard it was at the ranch his coach oh, yeah. uh started programming like a ton of hill runs it's ridiculous and run. and like probably a little overzealous and too much too quickly like so there was a lot of trips to the, this local hill with 250 pound dumbbells to the point where he was like waking up at night with like quad aches oh dude i had, from I the had eccentric uh, downs multiple nights i, I couldn't <laughs> sleep because my quads hurt so much just from because my weakness is squatting so naturally i squat a lot in my training and then all the eccentric loading from the hill climbing and i and i hadn't really ramped that up during the year like jen there's no progression like what jen was saying i just hammered the hill climbs yeah and like man my it band my like, everything around my hips and glutes is just <laughs> totally smashed and, and so when uh when they announced that it was in the gym for like for three or four weeks, I, 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 we have a physiotherapist that works at our gym. I recruited him and I was like, okay, we're doing dry needling like twice a week for, for three or four weeks here. We got to loosen these things up because I'm dying. I need some sleep. And there was, yeah. as you know, there's no hills in the, in the online competition yeah. to, to Pete's dismay. Yeah. <laughs> he would have been really good at happy star. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, I'll just say this. So for those of you that don't know Pete, he's one of the most humble, nicest guys you'll ever meet. So he won't say it, but I mean, through everything this year, you have a newborn, the pandemic, everything. I mean, it's an amazing accomplishment for sure. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. It was, I'm glad it happened. Like, it, you know, at the end of the day, people are like, did you enjoy the format? Of course I enjoyed the format. I got to compete at the CrossFit Games. Like, you know, like, I don't care what the format is. I'm, I'm still competing and it was really cool to have all the members around so it was like to have it 
to have them be able to say and me be able to say that you know CrossFit NCR like hosted the CrossFit Games in 2020 in a sense you know and um, and then everyone got you know teamed up a little bit and we made we made it happen with the videos and uh, it was cool when we when we did the overhead squat run workout we, we had to go down the street and and set that whole thing up and we had uh, we had some people from the neighborhood like lined up all the way down each side of the street like cheering me on as they did the the down and back on the run so it was it was a cool experience yeah yeah it was a cool experience. I, I think CrossFit did such an amazing job yeah. of, of putting that together and but there was there was also the added variable that you I think you felt a little bit like you had to oversee the logistics of your competition That's a true. little bit there's a bit of that stress on you and like for example we had a, a limit of how many people were allowed to gather outside at that point i forget what 50 yeah so we had this like thought before he did the the nancy workout like oh my gosh what if the neighbor called bylaw on him like mid-workout and they wanted to come and try and shut it down like all those little yeah. things that the, the pandemic made a little bit more complicated but it all ended up yeah. okay we had a police officer friend i called him and i was like hey can you just send someone so he sent a, a, a police and they just like blocked off the street for us temporarily while we ran the workout so that was pretty sweet yeah. it made it look like super legit <laughs> everyone was okay at that when they showed up so yeah but it was just like it was a little taste in my mouth now i'm more motivated to make it back to 2021 and while this is happening jen were you on the front lines doing medical stuff while he's running up and down the hill like what was what was going on no no actually i was able to be full-time cheerleader um we as residents here in canada we have a, a phenomenal um association that has advocated for a great maternity leave for us so um i actually decided i was going to take six months off and then i i, I spoke with a, a female female mentor friend of mine who uh, who said like as a staff doctor, you don't get anything. So she said, you're never going to regret taking this time off. You'll never get this much time again. So fortunately, I'd actually don't go back until um, January in a, in a couple of weeks. So it might, now that we have a few vaccines here in Canada, like a handful of vaccines, I might work some vaccine clinics before then. But um, yeah, no, I've been full cheerleader for Pete all year. It's been great having her. <laughs> I'm ready to go back to work. Yeah. <laughs> Well, awesome, guys. So I don't want to keep you the whole night, but this has been great. Um, I want to know, so where can people reach out and get more involved with this um, in terms of, you know, raising awareness for gyms? Well, I think right now our goal is to, um, our goal is to collect like-minded physicians um, in, in Canada and in Ontario. Right now, we're obviously focused. We live in Ontario, so we're a little bit more focused here, but I think our, like, a uh, medium to long-term goal would be to um, advocate for this nation nationwide across the country. So if anyone, if any physicians in Canada are specifically looking to, to support this, then they could probably reach out to you, right? Yeah. I mean, probably the easiest is just to, to find me on, on my Instagram at Jen E. Crichton, like Christian. Um, and I would just say, like, I think there's a lot of physicians out there that feel similar to us, but this has been such a polarizing um, topic within our um, within our profession. And I think it's unfortunate that at times the the, the discourse has bordered on 
disrespectful and unprofessional between colleagues totally unnecessarily like we're, we're all in the same team so um i think we we just want to like gather like-minded physicians to advocate for like a more respectful and and um and fact-based discussion yeah. of, of how we can um kind of push some of those health promotion and prevention ideas of public health forward during this, this really difficult time. Mm -hmm. So yeah, reach out to either me or, or Pete yeah. on social media. And what's uh, my handle Pete Shaw for. Yeah. yeah. I'll tag these in the show notes so people can just click on it and come find you guys. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. The call for a reasonable, rational discussion and to find a middle ground. Which yeah, is often lost these days. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, I have one more question for you guys. Um, yeah. In general, so what have you learned from each other in, in your respective professions? So, how has he made you a better physician? How has she made you a better coach? Or what have you learned from each other's professions? That's a really good question. Oh, um, really good you want to go first? You want me to go first? Do you have something? Um, off the top of my head, oh man, it's it's funny. It's funny. It's funny because it's hard to it's hard to for me to frame it like that in my head because when I talk to Jen about my profession, I mean, I don't. I think I see Jen as like part of me in my coaching experience, obviously more than she sees me as. Like, I don't think, I don't consider obviously myself at all part doctor, right? But Jen's always at the gym. She's constantly training with me. She's very much influencing, uh, you know, every decision that I'm making in terms of my coaching and all this stuff. I think. Um, I have one. Yeah. One. Do you want me to go? Maybe yeah, you go. Inspire. Maybe it'll inspire me. I don't yeah. mean to interrupt you. Yeah, go. I, I've been fortunate enough to, to take my, my level one with both of you and then also my level two in the kids course and, and, and getting to, to have a bit more intimate view into to what the level one trainers um, do on a regular basis and how professional they really, really are. Like you guys would know from taking the course and anyone who's taken those courses will, will I'm sure agree with this, that they are the epitome of a, of a professional in their domain and um especially in the level two material that i've taken away a lot of like communication pieces and and how you frame your message and how you coach your patients i i really draw a lot of parallels from how these amazing seminar trainers can break down seemingly uh, complex or like multifaceted things so that literally anyone can understand them, like an 80 year old to a five year old. And I think just taking that uh, approach to, to communicating with our patients and really coaching them is what we do um, has really influenced me and, and inspires me when I when I when I um, when I think about what you guys do on seminar staff. Thank you. <laughs> you know, you know what? I know what it is. It's it's. Um... She's, she's showed me what it means to have empathy, um, like with, especially with the clients, like when you're, when you're training people, um, like really what it means to show that you care about the, the other person, uh, like that you're trying to help on this daily basis beyond just 
beyond just the air squat and beyond just the, the deadlift, you know, the, like the patient relationships that you try to develop professionally, but also making them feel extremely comfortable. Um, like the information that your patients are divulging to you guys is, is so personal. And, you know, that's not necessarily the same level that I experienced, but um, to some degree, you know, I've become friends with some of my, which is, you know, a little bit different, but I've become friends with some of the, the people that walk into the gym and trying to, uh, trying to spread that mindset to every single person that comes into the gym and, and treating everyone uh, equally in that regard. Mm -hmm. It's like everyone that walks into the gym has an opportunity to become fitter, to increase your health. Um, just like every patient that walks into your clinic has an opportunity to receive good quality care from you. And, you know, they deserve that from you and they deserve that from me. And feel respected. And as feel a respected human. as a human. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. That was beautiful. Oh. Thanks, Matt. All right. Thanks, guys, for coming I feel on. Like I, just, I feel like I just redid my vows or something. You're welcome. <laughs> That's what we do. A romantic night with Matt. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're, we're back in love. <laughs> Just kidding. All right, guys. So I'll plug in the show notes. Make sure to reach out, get involved, advocate for gyms, um, so we can move on to you know uh, happier and healthier year. <laughs>